cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job at second hand. Moms bounced on old men, so then we moved to Shallon Land. A young youth. You're rockin' the go-to, no goose Only way I begin the G-Off is drug loop And let's start it like this, son Rollin' with this one and that one Pullin' out gas for fun But it was just a dream for the team Who was a fiend Started smoking wolves at 16 And running up in gates And pullin' hits by high stakes Number 24, Tempest Rod, do you listen to this music? You're so immature. Yeah, I do listen to this music. I love this music. It's great. I was gonna do the Snoop Dogg "Twas the Night Before Christmas," but that was just way too, too foul. It's too out there. You can't take Christmas that foul. Yes, you can. I know you can. Ah. Uh, there's a certain old, what would you call it? Squeaky clean thing over Christmas, you guys. What? But Snoop Dogg like partners up with uh, Martha Stewart now. <laughs> yeah, he figured out the dollar dollar bills, yo. <laughs> right on. So yeah, hey everybody. So it's almost time for Steelhead. If this cold, I'm so I'm I see people posting that they were out there and not really much in the success. A lot on the froze my ass off today. It is getting cold. Did you have a nice little surprise recently, though? Steel I caught a steelhead, yeah. Yeah, early. Yeah, yeah I got one in November 17th, 19th, something like that. Yeah, were you uh, twitching jigs for it? or No. <laughs> no, I was. I did twitch jigs through that spot and didn't get one, and I was actually fishing for bull trout. I was, yeah. using, I was using beads, and I fished a spot with beads and got nothing. I could see cohos sitting in there, so I switched over to a float fish and a jig. Just to see whatever, and uh, caught four coho in a row on the float fish jig, and then cast up to the head of the pool, and my float just went whoosh, wham, and just jumped out of the water, and I was like, oh, what is this, right? And I kind of thought it was a chrome coho, maybe, or because it did twist up in the line at first, so I thought, ah, oh, it's probably chrome coho, and then I thought maybe a big bull trout, like a huge one. Yeah. And then yeah, got her in close. It was a steelhead. It was, I don't know what kind of steelhead it was. It doesn't wasn't clear finned and like black and gray it was kind of you know like a winter runs usually are this time of year it was kind of had a bit of rose to it but it definitely wasn't a summer run it was fat yeah so maybe it was just a fall summer run late late summer run okay yeah still that's yeah. a pretty nice surprise i'll take, I'll take it <laughs> i'll take it so what's new what's going on oh not much we're just uh if you hear wrestling danina what do you do i'm working here? i'm putting what are you working on putting wormies on jigs Putting together lightworm and um, a new, a new jig, of course, because Rod just can't stop. <laughs> um, the new one that is making its premiere debut in the Christmas kit. It's the Steely Nightmare Worm version. Yeah, yeah. Killer jig. It's uh, black. Looks so good. Black and red UV sparkle with uh, a like. I don't even know how to describe this color. It's sort of we call it red, but it's not red. It's like a it's, neon pink. Yeah, but That's it's what I think. but it's like neon <laughs> on, pinky back, coral. Back, up, back what? up. What did you say it was? I don't know. You said black and red UV sparkle. Yeah. No, it's black and red schlappen'. Oh, Schlappen. okay. Sorry, I'm thinking of the the original nightmare. Yeah, yeah this the, one's black and red schlappen'. Pin and bead, or is it lead? Take it back. White white lead head, red and black schlappen' with a. I don't even know what they call that. What do they call that? Magenta worm? Or 
you're yeah you're hopping in late here we were just discussing the color so the only place the only place that people can get this though right now is the the The, steelhead magic kit right that's right yeah Yeah. because like throwing a new jig out there is not as simple as it may seem it needs a barcode and it needs a yeah. No, people just say, paperwork. hey, I'll just come to your house and pick it up. No. <laughs> no, you can't do that. That's not how it I'll works. I'll get four of them. <laughs> yeah, two. Uh, let's go three. Let's go three. But, so uh, do we have somebody, like, waiting on the telephone not yet. line? Not yet. No? Soon. Okay. All right. Excellent. No. So, yeah, I can't so believe it. Uh, we have a telephone guest. Yeah. I have never been on a podcast when we've had a telephone guest. Have we ever had a telephone guest? I don't think so. Not on the... Uh, this is our inaugural guest that it wasn't in studio. This is going to be really weird interacting with somebody without looking at them. I, I'm, I'm. It's fun. I enjoy okay. It. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you may uh, hear some background noise. I'm not kicking the furnace off today. Oh. It's chilly in Chilliwack. Yep. It is so. chilly. Chilly whack. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to get minus twenty one wind chill tonight. Ugh. But, uh, but like you said on Facebook there, it's good for the uh, farmer's fields. I can't, wait, I can't to wait to get out there and play some hockey. Yeah, <laughs> there, there will be skating. But the problem is there's so much snow, they're going to have to find... How do you find where the actual you know f- floody spots are in the field? I guess Yeah, because the snow keeps blowing over everything. It's covered, so you'd be like guessing out there. I guess they probably know if they run around in their quad, they probably get to a spot that's like... You send the least favorite child out into the spot that you think may be... That's, that's why all well, the Dutch families have so many kids. That's right. You Seriously, need some though, sacrificial children to go testing things. With the, with the temperatures <laughs> they're talking about for the next four to five days... After about one more day of this, like after tonight, I would guess that there'll be some uh, bodies of water frozen too. Oh yeah. Like like I don't know what you know I don't know where you start skating at, but I mean it doesn't take that long I don't think when it gets minus twenty one wind chill. In past years, I've gone with Deb um, snowshoeing, and there's a really pretty little. There, I think there's a few little lakes out in Hope that freeze over. Oh nice. They're so picturesque. Yeah, I like it. That's why I posted this morning that I like to see. You know, we're driving down Prairie Central and you see those farm kids out there skating around. Yeah. yeah. My favorite's at night when you drive by and everyone's got their headlights on on their truck and they're playing nighttime hockey on the, the field. Yeah. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Don't happen much these days. Not around here, no. No, it's so it's good to see. It's cold weather. Hopefully we get a big, big snowpack in a late spring and then that's going to help a lot of, lot of water systems and just help everything but it's important to get not get that early thaw you don't want that thaw to start in march you want to start in eight you know in later in a gradual one yeah yeah the last time we got a big dump of snow and just the series of events that played out with nature we very 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 nearly flooded our house like it was up to our front door step it was it was dicey. It was very close. Yeah, that was we could hear the water like we have an open crawl space under our old house, and you could hear the water lapping against the uh, ducting. The wow. ducting for our heat. <laughs> it was like there was a little bit of a Splash. a wave to the to the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah I was current. I had sat, sitting at home just feeling dread. Yeah, and it rained because it rained for six straight days nonstop every day all day. It was day. so depressing. Just yeah. did not Scary. stop raining, and we started. There was eighteen inches of snow. Right, yeah. it was on top of frozen ground, and then sort of similar to what we probably have now. Really. Yeah, and then that rain came. But I've been following the forecast pretty close, and we're only got they got one heavy rain day after this cold snap, and then it's supposed to get clear and sunny. So that's a godsend. Get that stuff melting, and then you know if we don't get the rains, if the rains come, big you know pineapple express rain event comes, and we could be. 
Well, it looks like it's going to stay pretty cool still. Like I have lots of zero. boats, though, so we can just, we'll just <laughs> float away. Yeah, you got a new boat. Yeah, I got a three-man uh, Catchercraft raft from uh, Catchercraft Boats. Have you uh, gone yeah. on the inaugural? No, haven't done the inaugural. I was going to right before the freeze came, so yeah. I just kind of put that on hold. It's not... You don't want to be doing that, sliding across snow and ice. And yeah. I don't even want to go to the fish right now because I, I hurt my ankle a few years ago, just out in my backyard, but it wasn't on ice and snow on the river. But I uh, turned my ankle over super bad, and I had to miss like January and Feb- half of February. Yeah. And th- that was the worst ever. So I'm not... I've This is the worst conditions for injuring yourself on a river. We've got ice-covered rocks with snow on top. Yeah. It's just you don't even know. And they're slippery you, without any of them. Yeah, and they like the upper vetter got a lot of snow. Yeah, and so you're going to go up there. You're going to be stepping into what you don't even know what yeah. you're stepping into. Like you, you know, you you lose your foot between two rocks. Your body weight carries you forward, snaps your leg, right? Oh, geez, Rod. Well, no, it's a very real. It's the worst condition. Very descriptive. And then the bone will stick out. Ah, but gross. it is it is the worst conditions for injuring yourself fishing. Like I know. Being, being getting you know I'm not 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 a spring chicken anymore I'm not doing it because I'm I don't when you're younger your bones are a little more rubbery you tend you tend to <laughs> okay. bend okay not it's so true. brittle it's true you tend to bend and you get older you don't bend as much you do a little bit more cracking and breaking stuff so I'm not doing it Debbie's making fun of me lately because I'll uh, I go to sit down and I'll make a sound now oh like a groan the groan sound oh <laughs> and, then, and then she started making fun of me and so I'm like fine I'm gonna Good, add to this so. And then, so now I, when I go to sit down, I'm like, oh, it's so good to sit. <laughs> she oh, just God. makes fun of me more. <laughs> that reminds me of the one thing I, I may have even mentioned this before, how much I hate this. You know, social media lets people say whatever they want. One thing that I am totally relaxed about, like nudity and all kinds of stuff, but I hate it. I find it so gross when women go on about how great it feels to take their bra off at the end of the day. And people, Did you see that one on mine the other day? No. Oh, one of the girls on mine was like, she said just that. Oh, it feels so good to take off the bra and release the puppies. Yes. Women do this all the time. And I guess that it's a bit like, it's not, maybe I'm being selfish and not very compassionate. It's not an issue for me, but. Well, the girl on mine that did it has, she's always had enormous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, that so, grosses me out badly. And then somebody posted on their, say hello, belly button. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a girl, another girl, like a friend of hers posted that, and I got a laugh out of that. That one's like, pretty awesome. Yeah, I was like, like I don't take my socks off at the end you know, of the day and, the, and let everyone know. Yeah, I know. Like, the coolest, oh, I just can't wait to the get. The coolest thing was the girl she said it to, who originally posted, ooh, um, she didn't get mad. She was just like, yeah, ha, ha. Well, yeah. So, it's I don't nice know. to see that. It's people, people get too nasty on there, like commenting, like. Yeah. Instagram's really bad. I've noticed. I got I got a guy on mine who keeps coming on there and saying the stupidest. You stuff. have a troll. Troll city. Instagram troll. troll. I find, yeah, I, like, I narrowed it down to who he is because he won't let me follow him and yeah. he won't let any of my friends follow him. <laughs> Chris tried. Yeah. Chris got all up in arms. Chris was like, "I'm gonna find out who this guy is." Right? And then we tried to get on and he wouldn't let any of us on. So we asked around. We looked at his people that he, whatever he's has let follow him or whatever, and found out. And so we found out he lives in the Sunshine Coast. And he like, likes fishing twitching jigs, and he thinks I've ruined twitching jigs because <laughs> I made it popular. So I ruined oh. it. There's no more fish for him. He can't hoard them anymore. <laughs> I hate that rod. So anyhow, I posted something about hashtag 420 on my trip to the island because the guy I was with is into it. So 
Uh, anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, he comes on there. He's like, oh, I can't believe you do that. You're so childish. You're like a 20-year-old trapped in a 49-year-old's body. Which and Rod's not, like... Not really an insult. But why, thank no, you. I think actually it's, it's a 15-year-old. <laughs> he says, tell, tell your wife uh, if she wants a real man to look me up or something. I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> That's so, like... I'm sorry. Uh, women are that all looking for miserable happening. old guys. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> miserable old guy. He's so hot. He's so miserable. Mm. Love I, it. I'm in the fishing community, the nerd community, and barbecue. Yeah. Nerd and barbecue, friendliest people ever. They fishing will, people fishing can be bastards, thing. yes. Because there's yes. Pro- nerd, probably in the nerd community, there's not nearly as much competition. Well, you're not competing. You're all loving the same yeah, stuff. But the barbecue could turn into a competition if it got into competitive barbecuing. But even though, the, even at yeah. that... What did you do? What was your secret? How do you like? Yeah. There might be. I'm Pe- sure there's rivals somewhere. No, I'm usually with stuff like that. I find it turns into like some guy tries to make a statement that's he doesn't make a suggestion. He makes like a bold statement like barbecue only works if you do this. Yeah. And then someone comes on and goes. But there's always no, going to be, be people yeah. like that, right? Yeah. But I just find in fishing, like, oh, super douche. There's so many. It's competitive. Yeah. And, and also another big thing is we're all fishing for. We're all like it's a limited supply of fish, exactly. With lots of people, so the more like Nate says this because he's from Washington State that on his rivers people are even nastier because you have more people and less fish. Yeah. So these he figures and that he, he comes continues to, the, to go that way. He comes to the vetter even in the fall and he's like everyone's so nice and I'm like are you kidding? Yeah. And he's like oh <laughs> this is nothing. His, yeah. He goes this is nothing. Like people here are pretty nice. He says I walk right up to people and ask them why they're snagging and they don't even get mad. They're like oh. oh, oh. Right? Yeah. He always does that. He approaches people if they're like flossing. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> like he gets all philosophical with them. Like, but why? Why do you do that? Why don't you just, you can, can get him to bite. Like, I could show you. They bite. Yeah. I could just imagine him doing it totally. too. Like, yeah. So Made laid back guy. about it. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. You know, that's good. Good to do that. That's actually the right approach because if you can be friends with them while you're talking about it, because if you come in like hot, like, yeah, there's no winning there. Don't you can't because you've already turned the guy against you. How are you gonna now talk him into, you know? No. And I'm not yeah. really, I'm not, I'm not one of these people. In fishing, you get a lot of people that want everyone to do things their way too. I don't know why that is, but like fly fishing. Like I saw recently, there's this guy. I should just say his name because I just he's. Ugh. But anyhow, he came <laughs> on. He come onto a thread. Someone caught a steelhead, and he comes on. He says, "Well, now now you have to learn how to get him on the fly." Like, why? Why do you got to poo on that guy's parade and say he has to do it a different way? Why does like? And who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Do you think he's not? The guy's obviously posting a picture. He's obviously happy with his success. Yeah. Say way to so go, man. Now you got to awesome. say it, it's okay, but like, come on, you yeah. should really do it this way. Because he's a dick. Yeah. yeah. And then he Straight went into up. this big thing. Then he backpedaled and tried to be nice, but I'll come teach you. Which, oh, well, no. why? Thank he you. He doesn't want. Yeah. Wow. What a no, privilege. and the person he said it to actually kind of got all like yo no I've been messing around with the fly like defensive and like well, he's yeah. like, defending himself I know I was like felt like getting Aww. on there but I didn't I, yeah. I never say anything but I was yeah. just like ugh gross mm-hmm. that's so gross like you do it my way or it's not right at all ugh. I get that with like twitching jigs like right away I, I you know I built that rod because I wanted personal, yeah, so what about I, the rod you got the, the rod's fish freaking wicked yeah yeah people love it like Actually, the guy who's building them for me had them in his shop, and other rod builders were coming in. They're like, "What is that? <laughs> nice. What are those?" And they feel it. They're like, "That's nice. What is that? What's that for? Oh yeah, Ooh. 
So yeah, like, and I've been pricing my rod up against some of the bigger brands, and it's. I'm telling you right now, the guy who built them for me, he says he went and looked at the other brands' rods, like held them in the store, and he says like all the components in ours are higher end components. That's awesome. Like, and those other rods are closer to four hundred dollars. Wow. And so it, my, that is yours nice. is two seventy nine. Two seventy nine. So and I mean, that's tricky to accomplish when you're manufacturing anything in Canada because yeah. so yeah. many of the components are coming from across the line. So just you know, to barely make a profit, you have to. Bring stuff up to a point yeah. where yeah. you know it's hard to be competitive price wise well we are more so, than competitive so with it's the good. rods that, yeah. yeah that it's nice i mean that rod's dialed for what it's for and i know guys some guys are like oh one piece right well i mean i had no problem sticking it in my truck in the van in the car you know there's so what do you do in, in i was wondering about that myself what do you do with a one piece rod like if you have a car do you just stick it out the window no you just like, run it it's a short rod it's not 10 and a yeah. half feet long it's I would a just, short rod you just put it down by the passenger seat at an angle. Yeah. I can put my hockey sticks into my... Yeah. And the the rod's only a little bit longer than my hockey sticks. So yeah. you don't have to have it sticking out a window or whatever? No. no? Oh, no, maybe no. if you have a, a single cab truck might be one of the problems. Or an Austin Mini. <laughs> and then, then, you, then you might have to run it. Hopefully you got a sliding back window on your truck. Then you can run it out there. But if you do so... Or else just put it in the back of the truck. It'll fit. It fits in the bed of a truck unless you have the tiniest, tiniest short box. So there's really not, people are just not used to one piece rods, but if they were to talk it's to totally like a lot, if you were to talk to a lot of the guides, like you go on any of our boats, we're using all one piece, one piece sturgeon rods, one piece Chinook fishing rods, except for big bar rods. We don't cause they're 12 feet long, but anything over nine feet, I want two piece, even over eight. Like that's why this rod's seven. Like two piece or? Two piece if oh, it okay. starts getting up over eight foot six, I'd say that's about okay. the longest, you know, I, like I said, sturgeon rods are nine feet, but how often do you fish sturgeon from shore, right? So you're, you don't drive around with it in your truck all the time. Mm -hmm. These are boat rods. And I, when I built these rods, they were I really kept, kept boat guys in mind because twitching jigs, you know, a boat's pretty, most places around here, a boat is really essential. Not so, so much in like the small vetter. Like you can go get it done without, but um, the guys I'm going to be selling the rods to mostly will be fishing them on boats. So yeah. But you can, like, I, I fished a vetter a bunch of times late, in, like, later in November there, and I was just driving to the river with my truck. And But the thing is, you know, like, another thing is a lot of people around here are scared of losing the float rod. They just can't. So they pack two rods around, and you just got to leave that other float rod at home. You don't need it. Like, there's, in for fall salmon, there's no, you, there's absolutely no reason why you need a float rod. I, the, so I hardly got to get out at all this fall. I went out twice by myself, and... First time I brought float rod, whatever, it was fine. But the second time I just was like, no, I'm just bringing the spinning rod and a pack of twitching jigs. And I had a great day. I had two wild coho, a chum. Like, yeah, you don't nice. need it. Like, you don't need all this other stuff. No. It's nice, though. Like, if, like you're, if you're strictly targeting chums. Yeah, you want to. Then I would, I would just bring the float rod alone. That's why quite often, like, people are like, wonder when I go out, like, late November on the vet or just walking around. Oh, why are you going for chums? Why don't you go after coho? Like, yeah, I can go catch coho, but I just want to smash on chums, so I'm yeah. just bringing the float rod, right? Yeah. Now, some days I was packing two, which I hate packing two rods because I don't like to stand still. I'm not. If you're if you got a zone that you like and you're gonna hang out at that zone, yeah, two rods is nothing. Like you just put your stuff down and yeah. switch and stuff. But like me, I'm constantly on the move. I just I, I don't know if it's ADD for fishing or what, but <laughs> I don't like. You want to find the fish. <laughs> I don't. That's probably why right right from the hop back in the long ago when they first started bottom bouncing, we didn't really know what we were doing out there. And then we didn't really believe it or not, we didn't really know we were snagging them. We actually thought they were biting, stupid as we were. Yeah. And uh, I even hated it then. I was like, oh, you just go all the way up to Fraser, way out there, almost to hope and. 
go on to some bar way like you know we used to hike out to hurling wade across walk way up there and they just stand there endlessly yeah. it was like ugh cast balance uh, and you couldn't even move because the other people would show up so you couldn't even like move on the bar you were just stuck you took your spot and just aimlessly so that that's not my cup of tea I'm, I'm never that's why I'm excited about having the new raft like, cover water I'll be able yeah. to cover just mass amounts of water every day yeah so yeah I'll be starting trips on the on my with my raft I'm probably gonna buy another raft shortly too yeah I'm gonna talk to the guy and see I want to think about getting a custom built two-man with a possibility for three but a smaller model so I can do some of the do it's just I got various reasons why I'm gonna do it but I just I'll have the three-man which I'll use mostly for two guiding two guys and myself and then I will have another one for doing one person trips and probably you know do I'll do some too in that one well let's let's talk about that more in a sec because we got yep. Danny all Wait, right why don't you tell us a little bit about Danny and I'll call him in well, this is Danny Colville of Colville Outfitters he um, I don't know tons about Danny I talked to him a couple times he uh, is on is in I believe Buffalo New York and East Coast East Coast yeah. fisherman and he's a uh, maker of super nice center pin reels and he's super knowledgeable on center pins far more than me i just take him and beat him up he builds them yeah. makes them tweaks them and uh yeah he also i know he ha i know he sells tackle as well i'm not sure if he has his own tackle store i think he does have his own tackle store as well so yeah we'll talk to him and get the skinny have we ever met this guy have i ever met this guy all right i'm calling well, him now you've been to new york uh, no, I well no. no, but I just wondered how you got in like just if internet you had met him at the outdoor show or something. Oh, nope. okay. Hey, Matt. Hey, Danny. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I got Rod and Danina here with us. Hello. Hey, Dan. How's it going? Hey, guys. How's it going? Do I call you Dan or Danny? Danny. Danny. All right. Me. Sounds good. This is so weird. Nice to finally meet you guys. <laughs> yeah, right on. I know I, did. I talked to you last year about your steelhead there, and we were going to try to get this together, but oh, it's a year later now, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. As long as we're getting it done at some point, right? Yeah. So what's happening out there? Are you fishing right now? Um, We got kind of uh, an Arctic tundra blast coming through right now. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> We got the same it's, thing here. Snows yeah, the snow's piling up pretty quick, so we uh, we had fishing all the way up until a couple days ago, and we ended up getting a bunch of slush on all of our creeks the last few days. But um, prior to that, uh, there was it was scattered fish. It wasn't great. I mean, the bigger rivers were fishing a lot better, like the Niagara and the Genesee and some of those ones. They they were the most consistent. But the smaller creeks, they had fish. They were just you had to do a lot of walking to find them. Okay, we're jealous because we're still waiting for our fish. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys, the 20-pounders make up for that. I mean, we got to catch four of them to make up for one that big. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there's not what as many as there used to be, but normally? yeah. I know you've been out here to the West Coast That's... a few times, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, been, I've been to BC. I've been to, uh, I always go to Oregon or Washington every year. Nice. And, um, you know, I've. That's pretty much, uh, I've been to Alaska, but I pretty much just do Oregon and Washington now. Yeah. Alaska I... is, uh, Alaska is a good one, but you know, I, I kind of like, uh, I kind of like driving around and doing my own thing and going to Alaska, you need to have like at least four guys to make it worth it. And it's, uh, it's one of these things where it's hard to get four guys to be able to go away for 10 or 12 days. Yeah, no, I hear you. I have that problem myself getting people to go on trips because I, I like to go trip around and do fishing that way too. 
It's that you know, it's nice to pound away at your local creek, but there's nothing like going on a trip. There's just a different feel to it. Oh, eh? absolutely. Yeah, I guess totally, you get you totally. fished the Olympic Peninsula. I've seen your pictures before. I, I've I've never made it down there before. I've fished other Washington, but I've never made it to the Link Peninsula. It's definitely on my list. I know it's getting pretty crowded these days, but I, I want to go check it out. Why do I feel like when we leave here, I'll be opening up the calendar, looking for some days to schedule off for you, Rod? <laughs> <laughs> Could happen. Yeah, the, uh, the Olympic Peninsula, out of everywhere I've been, that's kind of like, I would say, the gem for steelhead. I mean, you can go to uh, Alaska and catch 500 salmon in a week, but... Um, the Olympic, I haven't even been to the Olympic Peninsula for salmon, so I really can't speak of it, but yep. my friends that have gone there have done ridiculous numbers um, of fish there for salmon-wise. But the steelhead, I mean, you take the center pinning there and I, and you dial in kind of like a little bit smaller presentation, kind of like what we would do here on the Great Lakes, and you can you could do sick days, like 20 to 40 fish, no problem. Wow, that's awesome. Which is awesome. Yeah, you can't really... It's, it's weird because the, the coolest thing there about those trips is that every river kind of has its own strain of fish. So even though there could be like two rivers that are both dumping into like a bigger river and then into the ocean and they could be right next to each other, the fish are completely different. So wow. I think it's I think it's the same in BC pretty much. You know, it's every every fish is, you know... Yeah, definitely with a Skeena system. Yeah. You've been up to the Skeena? No, I haven't. That's one place I haven't been. Okay, to. so, so that's yeah. pretty much fishing all of that, all those tribs and that system. Yeah, so like that's the same there. Yeah, Every, all the fish are different completely, and it's it's really unique. And they even get they even when you find those real true wild fish like that, they'll actually like some of the rivers there, like the Kalem, the fish there's steelhead entering the, that river every single month of the year. They just sort of there's peaks and valleys, but it's just like a, a, a never ending supply of new fish coming in. So that's kind that's of a so weird cool. thing, you know, it's not like here we have definite summers and then we have winters and our summer run fishing here in my area is pretty terrible. So we pretty much are down to winter runs now. So So is it so everything you guys are doing is a is a Skeena watershed? Yeah, well, no, no, like out. Rod goes to visit the Skeena, like our river, he's fishing on the... Um, yeah, well, I'm all Fraser Valley, so I fish like the famous Vetter River. <laughs> Skeena is like, yep. is that's a little vacation for Rod, he loves that. I will tell you, the Vetter River is a fantastic steelhead river, it's super highly pressured river, but if you were to plop that river in the middle of nowhere, the fishing would be phenomenal, like the... And we got a really good average size, uh, average size steelhead here, probably averaging over ten pounds, probably like eleven pounds. So that's wow. yeah, it's a good like you're not you don't get the runts here like you see in those like how in Washington they have the two separate runs. They got the hatchery runts come in and then later right, on. Right. So ours they've used nothing but wild fish all through the years to make the hatchery program. So even the hatchery fish are super spectacular fish. They're really nice fish. So yeah, it's worth fishing this yeah, river was- for sure. Yeah, that was one really cool thing that I saw up in Washington is that when they do grab their fish to reproduce, I mean, it's that broodstock program where they grab the biggest, baddest-ass fish out of all of them, (laughs) and uh, they reproduce those. So, I mean, they'll take a 20- and 30-pounder and reproduce those fish, and they get, I mean, the hatchery fish are just incredible. So there's a couple native hatcheries that do that on some of the the reservations where they – they have hatcheries and the fish that run up there are just it's actually happening like right now like the rivers i guess are blown out now and they're just dropping into shape and the the fish that they um 
that they get like this time of year, the, the broodstock program are just, they're massive. That's when you catch the 20, the 20, uh, 25 pounders at 30 pounders. It's, yeah, it's nice. amazing. That's Quinault river. I think, eh? It's, uh, the, it's a queets and like the tributaries of the queets. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's one called the salmon. That's like, yeah, really, yeah. Really slamming, but you need a, you need a, um, a native guide to walk you through the river. Um, and I guess, I guess each, uh, each one of my friends, they kind of have their own guide that they use yeah, and yeah. some are better than others. And, uh, <laughs> but they pretty much, it's, they, they know what they're doing. They're just, it's, it's pretty much, you just need a native to walk you on the river. And yeah, I heard, I heard spots. they sort of promote killing those fish, you know, they're, they are hatchery fish, but I know a lot of people when they see, cause they don't clip them there. They, they don't actually mark them. So, you know, you can kind no, of tell by, you can really. kind of tell by worn down fins a bit, but Still, I mean, like, right, right. I, I, if I catch anything, if I catch a big steeler, like, I don't care what, how they got it, I'm letting it go. <laughs> That's just yeah, me. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird. It was kind of a strange thing for me to get used to when I started to go to Oregon that, you know, every fish, every hatchery fish you caught, um, you would, they would, all the local guys want you to kill them. It's bizarre. Like, I was just so not used to it. And, you know, not only will they, you know, they'll get their limits and they'll still fish, but they'll they'll kill the fish and they'll just or they'll slip their gills and let them go sometimes, which is kind of uh, Whoa. totally against everything that you know I've seen here on the Great Lakes and in some of the other areas. Yeah. But it's like the the guys they really like really love their native fish there and they hate that there's these hatchery programs. But you know, it's a wow. it's a big dilemma out there between the people who are in the the sports fishing industry and the because there's so many people in Oregon and Washington that are tied into the sports fishing industry, whether it's tackle manufacturing or guiding or whatever. But you know, there's you know the Wild Steelhead Coalition and oh, you know, all the hatchery programs that are just butting heads constantly about stocking these fish. And I'm kind of seeing it over here now. We have um, the best naturally reproducing trib we have is the Cataraugus, and then all of its smaller tribs. And we're about to knock down the dam. We just got the funding for it in um, 2019 to bring down the dam there. And, uh, you know, it was a big issue. I mean, they should have did it a lot of years ago, but they're worried that all these hatchery fish that we're stocking are going to mess with the wild fish above the dam. But, uh, you know, if they did did the research and they stock stuff like Pacific salmon that maybe something like pinks or cohos or something that won't attract all the crazies over here with the kings... Um, and still allow these fish to run way up, spawn, and then die. Now they're helping the, the native fish because they're, you know, giving food into the system. They're yeah, food great in idea. So when the fish start to break down and spawn, they're they're leaving a food source. Here's and, here, here, you know, I got I a really good question for you. Competition. Oh, sorry, I got a really good question for you. Has anyone ever stock tried to stock chums out there? No, no, they haven't actually. Which that is, is I, that's I, craziness. I've, I've, I know, I know, and I've been, I, I think they're, for whatever reason, they're not a highly sought-after fish here, and it's like, if guys haven't gone out to Alaska and caught them in Alaska, or, you know, caught them randomly in Oregon or Washington, then they they don't know what they're all about, but um, yeah. running into them in uh, in Alaska, I mean, I have tons and tons of respect for those fish. They're kind of like a cross between a uh, uh, Chinook and a coho or you know a Chinook and a lake trout they're just like bulldogs but they do like really fast zippy runs too so, oh, and, yeah. and they bite super good I mean they, they bite incredible I mean they're so aggressive yeah and they're so I, I would have liked to see just 
any any Pacific salmon here in our Erie tribs would be would be great, but they they tried doing it in the seventies and I think the early eighties and it never really took off. But I I always make jokes with people here because you know we're still getting a good amount of Pacific salmon given the fact that we haven't stocked them and you know we do get some strays from some of the other great lakes and we do get some canadian strays that are just running into our tribs but i've seen them way way up above the quote-unquote impassable barrier spawning and i've caught in small little smolts too so i know that they are naturally reproducing in our tribs despite what the department of environmental conservation tells us huh yeah they should really look at those chums because yeah they're you know they're not a great they're not a bad food fish when they're fresh from the ocean, but they tend to color up really quickly, but they'll spawn in anything, like anything, anything that has a glass of water, they're spawning in it. Like they just, and they have high success wow. rates. So they would do, yeah. if they took them back there, they would have a high success rate and they're big. So they produce a lot right. of fer fertilizer for the river. And that just, if you got native, what you guys would call native fish, I don't know, like steelhead that were stocked a hundred years ago, whatever. Those things, those things would would greatly benefit from feeding off all that food, all the well, eggs. Well, we have the same thing here too. People don't really respect chum fishing. They don't. Well, I get people traveling. Actually, here in BC, where I am in the Fraser Valley, we have, I think it's the best chum run in the world still. Like we have, we had millions come in this year, millions. Like you just can't even fish for four hours, and you, your arms are done. Like you just, <laughs> you, you honestly, like the That's... float goes three feet. You float with you put a, a purple and pink jig on, float that sucker three four feet, swamp fish on nonstop all day. Yeah, it sounds just like pink salmon fishing. You know, you got to set your float like three foot down in like a ten foot hole so you don't snag them. You know, exactly. going eight feet or something with your jig because they'll swim right into it. And, yeah. Uh, but you know, the other thing too is I don't know, I don't know what the scoop is with the forage in this in like Lake Erie versus Lake Ontario because where I'm at, I'm right in like the the corner right where the upper Niagara River starts and then it drops down over the falls obviously into the lower Niagara and that's what separates Lake Erie to Lake Ontario oh, okay. and you know the the Kings you know have they've been stocking the Kings in Lake Ontario and never stopped and I guess they they must have done studies and they they're getting a lot better natural reproduction and um, they're getting better runs and I think it's because of they have more alewives than we have so we have Pretty much um, in Lake Erie, we have smelt and emerald shiners as a main forage base, and then uh -huh. in the um, and then in in Lake Ontario, it's alewives and smelt. So I think the and they just um, introduced uh, um, uh, what the heck do they call them? Bloaters. I'm trying to think of what they are. <laughs> the official name. I can't think of the name of them. But but it's a beth it's a bethnic uh, a bethnic bait fish. So it like hangs down in like the the 300 foot depths and it's like giving the the fish something to eat in the summertime when that when the alewives and stuff don't go that deep so ah. um oh they're cis they're ciscos that's what they're called okay and it was escaping my mind but yeah they're uh they're a cisco that they're introducing and i they've been working on that for the past five years but i don't know what the success rate of that is yet but uh you know i think that's why the steelhead always did so much better in lake erie because the steelhead will eat everything from ladybugs to yeah. you know emerald shiners and it seems like the you know any and brown trout will eat i mean i saw some brown trout getting clean that had sunfish and perch and gobies in their stomach uh, and yeah. i know that the salmon they pretty much just hone in on those those big schooling bait fish like the smelt and the um 
the smell in the Owives. So I think uh, that's why it's not as good here in uh, Lake Erie versus Lake Ontario. But um, what are, I mean, besides like the the prawns and, you know, some herring and stuff, what what are your fish eating in the oceans? Oh, they have everything. There's so many bait fish. There's smelts, there's, there's can, and, candlefish and herring, anchovy, sardines, all kinds of shrimps, different shrimps. I think that's a major difference. I think oh, that's yeah. why... I think that's why certain fish don't do good here but you know and it, and it goes back to like you know those strains of fish like we were talking about like um you know we have like the chambers creek strain and you know it's you know in lake michigan they have uh the big manistee strain and they have um there's a, a summer summer program in the lake michigan tributaries which is really interesting and these fish will run in 72 degree water Wow. all summer long in little tiny ditches and they're uh they're actually from like the Tule river or the i'm sorry the toodle river in washington so oh yeah toodle fish yeah. um yeah they just they kind of went through and they picked the best strain for that condition and uh for those conditions and they they did really well with it i mean there's these like i said these ditches are 15 foot wide and they're getting hundreds and thousands of you know really nice you know eight to eight to 15 pound fish running up there all summer long and it's created a really good sport fishery yeah i, I keep an eye on michigan, michigan quite a bit i was actually thinking if i ever went back i'm it was one of the spots that i wouldn't mind trying out Some yeah of the, it's it's pretty neat it, it really is it's a it's a cool fishery and i i heard you guys talking about you know the fishing wasn't as good as it used to be and that's kind of what i'm seeing like across the board like from all over the great lakes all the way to the west coast is everybody's like you know the fishing used to be better and i don't know if it's just more pressure or better fishermen or less fish i'm not too sure but i mean we're we're definitely on a big decline and if they don't start doing something here in the great lakes we're gonna I think we're going to get pretty low on the, the counts of fish here. Well, I think it's for us, for sure, you know, we're we're in an area here, the Fraser Valley, where just the population just keeps on growing because let's be honest, like it typically, this is rare it's weather for us. Vancouver? Yeah, right. We're an hour out of Vancouver and Chilliwack here. And like, you know, the population base is massive. So we just keep destroying habitat and that's what it is. We're just, and we have like, oh, there's a mil, it's like a death by a million cuts and they don't want to put... They have these wild steelhead coalitions and that that are like firm against hatcheries, so they don't want to put any work in either. So you've got you're losing habitat and you're not replacing it with fish, and you're expecting the wild fish to keep the numbers the same at with less habitat. It's just not that's not a reality of the future. Like your your numbers are based on amount of habitat they have. So you take away habitat, you take away numbers. It's just that's what hatcheries do is they help the fish survive the poor habitat because they're taking them out of the habitat for a portion of their life that's spent in the fresh water so you know you can argue right. against hatcheries all you want but unless you're gonna go and like a lot of these guys do they do fight for the fresh water and the habitat and that's i mean power to them they're doing a good job but it's a losing battle is what it is so you know it's in the future if we if we want to sport fish on these like for these fish like steelhead and coho and like coho salmon is one of the salmon that's also spends a lot of time in fresh water so it also gets hardest hit by habitat whereas chums chums will spawn right in the fraser river and so there's no other not like our other salmon pinks and chums are the only ones that spawn like all over the fraser and in any ditch so they continue to have strong numbers so in the future you're going to see and we're already seeing it like chum runs are good then ooh, coho runs crappy 
tank runs good. Ooh, the Chinook runs bad. So and that's also yeah. and that's also giving less competition to the cohos too, because I mean you got to figure you know the better the chums do, the more bait fish and the more you know food they're eating up in the ocean. So yeah, that too. Yeah, do better. Why? why the cohos start to do worse. And one of the downfalls as well, like say Thompson River is suffering really bad with its steelhead. Well, its steelhead run basically with the chums and they have pretty big commercial fisheries on chums. So in cases like that, you have a, a, a fantastic sports fish being lost to a commercial fish because it's getting mixed in with them and caught with a commercial fish that's being used. We, with the, like they commercially fish chums for the eggs to send to Japan to be eaten as sushi. That's the whole fishery. That's what it's all about. So basically, wow. and they take the meat from the chums and they send it to have made into kitty food. So, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, kitty food guy makers are doing good. You know, sports fishermen, not so much. And that's why we that's yeah, why we fish for chums because I mean, it's if you can't beat them, join them. It's they're there, they're catchable numbers. They're a decent fish. I find them good eating. I, I weed through them and catch, keep only the really nicest ones. And yeah, they're good. I mean, they're we've had some delicious chum, especially delicious. if yeah. you deep fry it. Yeah, yep. yeah. They get a bad reputation, but you know what? They're carrying the same amount of omega threes and everything else that the, all fish do, and they're the best thing you can be eating. Way better than craft dinner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Making fun of my kitty. Gorgeous fish too. You know, they have yeah. amazing colors, and they get that big kiped up jaw and everything they'll bite you too oh yeah they will they will go well out of their way to bite you i've gone to release (laughs) them and they've turned and bit me i'm like you are you for real like they are a they're tough from they're tough like other salmon don't do that i've never really had a chinook try to bite me but boy oh boy i've had many chums try to actually bite me but yeah has one gotten you yet i've gotten i just got i just had one one that just got healed up recently here they get infected yeah. too. Yeah, they get they get infected right away. They have super dirty slime on them. I don't know what it's yeah, dirty. I, I wouldn't call it dirty, but it's the chum slime. It's infectious. And yeah. yeah, well they got they got that thing called salmon finger that they have out yes. last where you know you get a salmon <laughs> that bites you and you get an infection in your hand and you gotta take antibiotics for yes, it. This, was, yes. I get that all the time. Oh here well we're this on the a, well we're on the topic for people listening. If you ever get bit, don't put don't put don't go to the antibiotic route unless you really have to, because I'm not a big believer in taking that stuff too much. And you can literally put oil of oregano, drip it on there, do it once a day, put it right into the cuts, and make sure you wash them, get them kind of like, you know, break the scabs, kind of get it open, get that oil of oregano in there. And I've actually had it cured within one night. Woke up in the morning and my infection was gone. My hand was like killing me the day before. Couldn't even bend my finger. Wake up. Yeah, the holistic approach is always better. It really is. For sure. Yeah, I I like antibiotics. That that stuff's magical, the oil of oregano. The first time I put it on an infection and pus started coming out of my finger, I was like instantaneously, as soon as that stuff You just can't resist telling about the pus. You have to include I knew that was coming out at some point. You have to throw that in there. And then the pus came out. Blah. It was magical. I never got well, that with anybody. So, that's what makes it so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, Danny, you're a big uh, center pin guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I pretty much um, center pins and bait casters. Anything that has a a free um, a free spooling, uh, something that holds a line more or less. You know, um, you know, I like the bait casters in the early fall for the really big chinook, and then the center pins for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, and I'll even center pin for Chinook in the rivers that are a little bit smaller, but in the Niagara is where I spend most of my time. And it's just too much to turn a fish in two seconds with a center pin. Some of these bigger center pins I'm making now, they're five and a half inches. So you have a little bit more line pickup with that. But 
you know, you need some reels with 25 pounds of drag. I mean, even the smaller low profile reels with like 12 and 14 pounds of drag won't do it for these fish. You get a 30 pound fish in a whirlpool that's ripping down, I don't know how many million cubic feet per second or a hundred thousand cubic feet per second, whatever it is, is it's insane. So you got to turn these fish in two seconds because they're holding in a little eddy and just resting there. And all they have to do is swim out to that fast water and they're, you're, you know, you're spooled in two seconds. Wow. So that's why I pretty much always use a bait caster for that. But, um, you know, the, the center pin thing is, is just huge out here right now. And we pretty much, uh, you know, I was talking to a guy this morning. He's like asking me why I don't stock more fly, fly fishing stuff in the shop anymore as compared to when I first opened. And it's really because I, you know, the, the center pin guys out here I'm selling, it's probably in reality, I'm selling a hundred to 150 center pin outfits to every fly outfit. So oh, wow. you know, I ask guys when they come in, do they want to catch fish or do they just want to yeah. <laughs> you know, do the art of fly fishing? What, what do you call a, a fly fisherman just, stick again? What is it? The hungry oh, man stick? St- starvation stick. Starvation stick. <laughs> <laughs> starvation stick. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's great. It's fun. And, you know, for a while, I actually, before center pinning got really popular here, I had started, um, you know, spay fishing. And then, well, I started fly fishing first before I started center pinning and then I went to a spinning rod and then um, and then I ended up kind of doing the center pinning and fly fishing combination just to kind of do something a little different because it, it was actually too easy like 10 years ago here it was it was ridiculous because you didn't have you know a hundred guys on the river center pinning there was everybody couldn't get their present couldn't slow their presentation down to get a natural uh, approach in every hole so you'd go in behind 10 guys in the afternoon you can wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning and walk down there and you know be well rested and pick away at all these fish that the guys couldn't catch with the uh with the spinning rigs so spinning wow. reel rigs now um, is have people giving up like that anymore have people given up spinner spinning reel float fishing finally i it's getting there i mean i'm seeing you know before it was really the price of the stuff was you know the price of the center pin outfit was holding people back but nowadays you can you can get into a whole entire outfit rod and reel for two hundred dollars so wow you know guys that were reluctant to try it before are now you know buying these cheaper outfits which i love because i saw i get to sell them too then because i know they're gonna like it so i sell them this cheap two hundred dollar setup and within three weeks if they put their time in they're in trying to buy a better one which is yeah yeah i know it's totally like that i I always like that yeah and i have stages of reels too so i sell them something that's like you know a cheap chinese made reel or korean made reel and then when they come in i end up selling them something made in canada or one of my reels that i make and then i bump them up to one of like my really premium reels that i make after that so i have different steps and i've kind of developed uh kind of like an entry level reel to compete with some of the other i shouldn't call it entry level it's a really it's a high-end reel, but it's not a $600 reel. It's a $400 reel to compete with some of the other reels that are right in that price range. Yeah. And I haven't even been able to put any in my shop. I've just been taking orders for them. They've been going quicker than I've been able to put any in here as sell. What do you call that one? really cool. Uh, that one's called the Trinity, and that's a mix between the Shadow Drifter and the Paragon. And the Paragon was my original center pin that I kind of made. Just I was trying to make a reel that was something that was a little bit different um than what was available so i made one that had a lot of feel like those old school canadian reels had and something that had uh 
a little bit bigger diameter so I could take it out west and fish because there wasn't really much that was in the five inch diameter range. So I made the real five inch. I put a texture rim on it to, to work better in the rain. So I was able to pick up more line and control fish running. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I gave, I gave the reel some actual like mass to it. So it balanced out the rods. It was like a weird thing that was happening and I'm still kind of seeing it is, uh, there's these reel manufacturers are trying to make these reels as light as possible. And it's like, you almost want to do the opposite when you're fishing a, you know, a heavy duty 12 foot or 13 foot rod, you really want to balance it out. And yeah, guys yeah. are having me build rods where the, the reel seat is set almost all the way to the very back end of the rod, almost like, um, almost like a fly, a fly or spay rod setup would be just so they can balance their reels out. And now, uh, now I'm seeing a lot of component companies are coming out with like counterbalance weights for the bottom end of the rod, oh, um, yeah. which is pretty cool too. Well, we sort of, I, but, uh, I, I yeah. recently, I recently built a rod for what we call twitching jigs, which is huge out here for coho salmon right now. Yeah. It's I, a short, short spinning. Yeah. So outfit. So I built these and we put a, a counterbalance in the butt, in the butt cap and it's much better because when you're twitching, it's all wrist snap, right? So if you don't have that right, counterbalance, right. you got to work harder. That just helps you. It helps you. And I know with center pinning, I, I use a long handle behind the reel. I use, I can, I like the handle to be pretty much at my elbow when I fish. Well, that's it. You get the most leverage at that point, you know, yeah. you can, and it's not getting stuck in your jacket or your vest. And, you know, it's weird because some guys want them built a little bit longer here because they like to put them in their armpit and drift with it but that to me i don't know it seems like it's always getting in the way with the casting and everything you're trying to make these big long giant casts and the bottom the bottom of the handle is always catching on something right in front of you so i i agree with you though right to the right to the back end of the elbows where you want it and you know the foregrip i've I've done them like standards, pretty much six and a half inches. As long as you could put your pointer finger up it and it doesn't touch the blank, yeah. that's pretty much right where you want it. Um, but some guys want these really long handles um, where they can grab onto them and fight the fish kind of to, to aid in fatigue. But uh, that's why I do a lot of those fancy butt wraps above the blank because then you're able to grab onto it without worrying about snapping it there and putting a pressure point. Oh yeah, okay, cool. So you're so you're building that's rods what those as well, eh? Wraps are for. Yeah, yeah. That's how I really got started building rods in my dad's basement, and you know it all started. I was trying to. I got so into the center pinning thing. I wanted to do it in the summer, and we don't have really any migratory fish in the summer here locally in New York. So I was I was trying to get something that would be as fun for these little like stalker trout and the, the bigger wild trout, which are, you know, when I say bigger, they're 17 to 20 inches. And uh. so I was, I was getting uh so I built a little like two weight, nine foot, two weight conversion. And then I, I got a friend in Canada to help me make a, um, a little three inch center pin. So it was kind of like fishing with a toy out there in the summer, but it was a blast. Three just inches, a little that's tiny. Stuff under a boat. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tiny. <laughs> it's pretty wow. funny. It's like you're reeling a yo-yo on your <laughs> yeah, It's basically it's a lot of fun. But what's that sounds uh, cute. You're talking about this uh, this coho twitching. What's an what's an ideal stick? Like if I was going to get a, a stick to fish, you know, twitching for coho, a what would I? Bit. What would be ideal? Well, really, I mean, twitching out? twitching is really we're just we're really bass we're bass fishing for coho, is what we're doing. So it's the same type of rod. Like the ones I built and sold were seven foot six one piece. And uh, they're fast action. Medium fast action. Yeah, medium to or fast action. Fairly stout rod, but they're rated ten to twenty. 
Uh, I'm using Rain Shadow yeah. blanks on them, and uh, actually the guy who runs Rain Shadow, Kerry Batson, he suggested that particular rod. He said that's he's a hardcore fisherman. He does twitching, and he said he's done a lot of rods, and that's his favorite, so we went with that one, and yeah, it's beautiful. And yeah, I- Kerry really knows his stuff. I really uh, lean on him for a lot of information with rod building and yeah. guide spacing, and you know, Rain Shadow definitely is a, and Batson overall, they're the best uh best company for information with you know guide placement and blanks for uh for all different types of fishing which yeah is really he, cool so yeah my friend product who, knowledge is incredible. yeah my friend builds rods and he same thing he leans on bear carry quite a bit he's so you know, he talks and he's like man we gotta go down to the op and fish with carry he's hardcore like you <laughs> oh it'll be hardcore i go yeah it might be too hardcore i might never come back <laughs> yeah yeah that might and, take and a job down there to uh from what I, from the guy, I haven't fished with Kerry personally. I went up to his, um, I went up to the Batson factory and, you know, wiggled some rods up there and brought in a couple <laughs> custom rods for them guys to look at. And uh, so I haven't got to fish with him, but the guys I do know that have fished with him, he, he apparently likes to go out there and uh, enjoy the, the Crown Royal a little much. Oh! <laughs> Keep him warm. How, how well I'd be doing on the river with him. <laughs> well, he'd like, like then, he'd like me then because so. I could drive the boat. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, right on. But, yeah, that was, that was a really... A really cool trip. And what what size are the jigs? Uh, what size jig head are you throwing? For uh, anything from throwing? some guys on the smaller rivers will huck a little quarter ounces. Me personally, I like three eighths, half ounce. And next year, I'm going to start toying around with some three quarters. Just the more the thing wow. about it, I, like I'm no master at this art myself. I, I'm good at it. I I can catch coho all day long on it, but I'm starting to learn that like it, we like to fish the coho in sort of froggy water right now. Like we look for. Coho right. here love to stack up in like back eddies and pools and along logs, places where there's less current, but they also sit in the runs and, you know, twitching a jig through a run after you've been a float, lifelong float fisherman is a little weird, but it's completely doable. And I'm this year for steelhead season, I'm really going to start taking out days like later in the season when there's lots of fish around, I'm going to leave the float rod at home, just take the twitching rod and go. And I think I'll be able to, to show them a different presentation, which could be huge. And so, yeah, oh, so you, you use a half ounce or three quarter, you cast it upstream into the current and you just hop that thing down the run, hop it along a ledge, whatever. It's all going to be just that it's all touch, right? So for yeah, that, is the spoon fishing form pretty good too? Swing spoon fishing's not bad, but uh, they see a lot of spinners and spoons out here. So you're not, it's not giving you a huge edge on what they've seen, but um, I mean, it does work for sure. There's guys who commit to the spoon, nothing but out here. You'll see a few guys every year go by that are like hardcore spoon guys but the average joe's float fishing here like nine out of ten guys for sure float fishing you know is that all center pin or they do so i'd say 80 percent level wine still out here there's a it's just center pins like like back east the center pins are really getting going now because of the the entry level pricing to get you know because before guys were like i ain't paying 600 bucks just just for a reel to start you know to change change my style of fishing but if you can do it, if you can do it for two, three hundred dollars, then you'll try it, and you know what happens once one, once you try it. That's it. You realize Absolutely. pretty quickly that a center pin is the ultimate float fishing tool. There's no, nothing else out there that can give give you those drifts. It's just it's just the fact. No, no, there isn't, and yeah. and it's you know it's crazy because it's I I made eleven of these Leviathan reels that went to BC, they went to Washington, they went to Washington, they went to Michigan and Wisconsin actually out here. And I had a couple guys in New York pick them up. 
And everybody was like, oh my God, why'd you only make 11 of these things? These are like the best reel we've ever fished with. And we could pick up more line than, you know, a guy with a high speed level wine. So now that I got these bigger five and a half inch trinities coming out, I think I'm going to really saturate the market pretty good out west with these things and, yeah are you, are you, you, know, are you guys, gonna they love them are they just gonna be by can people just order them online is that the way to get them yeah i mean really contacting me like via phone i'm working on a i'm working on a website i'm just i'm i'm so busy as it is i don't want to like put a website out there and then not be able to like yeah. keep up with everybody so yeah. like luckily you feel your pain you know, luckily facebook has been so good for me because you're able to i'm able to post pictures constantly on there but it's almost too much a, sometimes yeah it is there there's such a what? giant amount of people that still are not using social media that i'm kind of doing myself a little bit of an injustice but it's uh you know it's one of these things until i can keep up with it i don't want to like put myself out there because then i don't want to give somebody bad service what is your business name well i have my shop which is colville outfitters and custom tackle and that's in hamburg new york and then i got colville precision reels which is the reels i make and you know so what do you what are you found as on facebook um well you could i have like five pages on facebook but like the best one to to get me at is like my normal Danny Colville page. So someone would have to friend request me on that. And then I'll, you know, I'll obviously accept it. And, you know, you can talk with me, you know, through messenger pretty easily, but you know, I have Colville precision reels on Facebook and then I have uh, Colville outfitters. So if somebody went, if somebody went to Colville precision reels, they would be able to find pictures of the reels and stuff. And yes. Okay. Good. And I do all kinds of really cool themed reels. Um, yeah, I so saw one I recently. A, <laughs> Rod yeah, pointed a, a favorite a out. It was cool green. <laughs> the green one. Oh, yes. yeah. I think I saw that one. The trichrome. Yeah, I got, uh, yeah, that's called the, that one you're referring to. That's called the trichrome. And that's kind of funny because uh, the people who kind of inspired that reel were some Canadian guys from Ontario. Go figure. And they, <laughs> yeah. and they, and they posted a picture of a, like, a, a rim for like a tire that you know you would i don't know who the heck would drive around with uh pot leaves on their on their car but um you know there was a rim that they posted and they were saying oh wouldn't this make an awesome center pin reel and it was kind of a joke and i i kind of chimed and i said well i'll make it if you guys could get 50 people to buy them so they ended up getting about 30 people and i ended up having um another 20 so i hit my minimum to make it and uh i can't do anything you know half ass. so I what I ended up doing was I got you know a local guy to do some really cool artwork and I had uh I was just talking about it down at the river with some people and we all kind of came up with a name together and so it's got a whole theme you know some cool artwork to go with it and I'll have a matching pouch and a matching box and that's kind (laughs) of what I do with like the trinity the reason the trinity is called the trinity is because it's a mix of three reels you know combined so that's why that's why that one's called that besides being like you know an awesome river too, the trinity river there's you know there's kind of a reason that every reel is named what it's named okay so that trinity reel now what what's a ballpark in that for american dollars uh so in american like just a plain jane one is 400 bucks and that's just a regular type 2 anodizing with um you know, it's got it's got the same performance as one that would be five hundred dollars, but it's not going to be as durable. 
if you wanted to pay 500 bucks, you would end up getting a hard coat or some sort of fancy splash anodizing or even like custom laser engraving. Mm. And then, um, you know, the five and a half inch ones, they start at 500 and depending on options and stuff, they could go all the way up to 600. Well, that's still, that's they're, super they're, reasonable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. reasonable and you're getting, you know, you're getting a textured rim, you're getting like, um, a feel of a custom reel that would be, you know, upwards of six, seven hundred dollars. Um, I mean, it's got a very, very precision, low production feel to it. And I mean, every one of these reels, I, I load the bearings in myself, and I set a certain tension on the spool when you order the reel. So, you know, a guy out here that's drifting a four gram float is going to want a much faster startup than a guy that's, you know, chucking a twenty gram float out west. So I'll kind of ask them where they're fishing and based off that I'll adjust the startup of the spool based off that so a little slower startup will actually help you with the BC casting and all the spinning casts that you're going to do out west yeah and that's kind of why that adjustable tension is so nice with some of these reels yeah I'd need that because I use a 35 gram float <laughs> wow no yeah, I don't so, mess around buddy you, know, you fish with me it's all it's all uh the big gear move, move fast Cover water, pull those fish out of the meanest spots. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much what I see out west, and it's it's a lot different here. And there's kind of two ways to approach the fishing around here. You could either kind of do that same style where you run and gun and you pick up the aggressive fish, which the fish here tend to like row more than they like anything here. They they really will pick that before they'll pick. Um, you know, a jig or a, a, a rubber worm or anything like that. So yeah. if you want to catch the most numbers of fish and you could, you know, really, really truck down a river, um, the best thing to do is just hop from hole to hole with, you know, using row bags and you'll definitely do the best numbers. But the other way to approach, you know, the Great Lakes anyways, is you kind of get into a hole and you just keep working through all the fish and you're kind of just presenting something to the fish that have already been caught on row before and you know row or you know or even a different kind of egg so like you know typically the fish will come in and everybody's fishing chinook eggs in the early fall and then you know come winter everybody's starting to transition over to steelhead eggs or brown trout eggs and a lot of times guys are just fishing with whatever is available because it's actually hard to get really good eggs out here because our you know it's it's like a lot of you know a lot of the guys they they don't want to kill the fish number one and number two it's like you have to take a special trip to the ontario tributaries to get your salmon and then you got to go a different time of year to get your wow. brown trout eggs and you got to go a different time of year to get your steelhead eggs so it, it's a job in itself just getting the enough row that you need wow yeah well we still have those old now we still have people out here that rely on the row but it's getting less and less every year out here yeah, and that's what I noticed when I went when I was in the Olympic Peninsula. Is it's like it didn't matter what you were using, as long as you presented it in the zone, you would pick up the really aggressive big fish in in yeah. the rivers there in the pockets. And it was it was interesting because it wasn't like I mean I tried that same technique where I'd work through a hole and keep trying different colors and you know scaling down in size of tippets and. Um, size of floats and going a little stealthier with my presentation, but it didn't seem to matter. It was like the really aggressive fish bit right away, and then after you got the aggressive fish, um, you know, you you would start getting smolts or you know whatever. You'd have to go down to the next spot to really start getting into more fish. Yeah, and that's uh, why I keep was, moving. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you got to. You got yeah. to. 
Um, but there's, uh, you know, there's, it, it's just really interesting to see like how the guys fish out there. Cause there'll be one guy that just fishes all rubber worms. There's another guy that will fish just straight up sand shrimp the whole time. And then there's guys that are fishing, you know, skein, sand shrimp, soft plastics, and they have like different rods rigged up for different, different baits. And, um, I, I think those guys do a little bit, uh, a little bit better, but it's still, it, it still seems kind of tough because if you have to follow down, down the river behind a good fisherman and these fish are that aggressive, you're pretty much just looking for any pocket that they didn't hit. <laughs> That's pretty much it you know, right like, there. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. so like, so what are you guys trying to do? You're trying to get into water that, um, just is not pressured. Like, like there isn't, hasn't been anyone that's gone through it. Well, first. like that's on my it. particular river, what happens is guys push the fish out of the obvious spots where fish steelhead would typically like to hang. If they were unbothered, they push them into water that they're not, that a lot of guys won't even go near. Cause it just doesn't look like anywhere that a fish would sit, but you'd be shocked. Like on my river, you will pull oh, a fish. Yeah. I've had guys catch fish behind me through a tiny little six inch deep riffly side channel that you couldn't even, there wasn't a dark spot in it, but they were just hiding under the riffle. And so like, yeah, they'll sit anywhere. So it's really a matter of covering water. And uh, yeah, just, so yeah, you will, you know, when fishing's good, a new bump of fish comes in the river, they'll be in the good, the spot where you would think they'd be. There's a bit of presentation that can help you get a few fish that other guys don't, but being the steelhead, I mean, yeah, if the guy's got first guy through there is going to get that aggressive fish, you don't even, you know, you know how it is. You don't even need a great presentation if there's a hot, aggressive steelhead in there. So, yeah. Right, right. So it's not, it's not like we're not relying on, like, that's where we just don't even bother going to, the, like, the four-pound leader and the, the fine, fine, you know, like, it just doesn't seem to make a big difference a lot of times. Just, just, cover, yeah, yeah. just covering water and... uh I mean, yeah, you can sometimes color changes work with fish, you know, like I've found that to be a thing. So when I fish a lot of jigs, right? So I'll, if I know there's a spot and I just know there's fish in there, I'll often hit it with four or five colors because they might have had guys, four guys might have fished it all morning with pink jigs and they just kept pounding away and then left or a pink worm or something pink. So I didn't even go to pink, right? Pink's the most overfished color in our water by far. But yeah, I'm, it's I, also like the best producing though. I mean, everywhere I yeah. go, it's like as long as you have something pink, you're gonna get steelhead to go. But you know, it was pretty pretty interesting when I was in the OP. You know, the the guide I was with, Bill Gray, who's probably one of the best out there for center pin fishing. He was uh, he was using this. Um, it was like a black worm with a uh, with a um, chartreuse paddle tail, and he was just tearing it up in every single spot. And I had never seen that. At all the time I've spent out west, I've always seen like the kind of like the salmony color oranges and the pinks and the charises or the pink and purples. I haven't seen any black and chartreuses, and I guess blue seems to be picking up popularity too out there, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So yep. I, I know I know they're starting to make some different, you know, blue paddle tail worms with uh, like little pink accents and stuff and. I guess that's been kind of the key with really pressured fish and, you know, talking yeah. to some of these guys. Yep, for sure. So, yeah, if you're drifting down a river like they do and you've got 10 boats ahead of you, pink worm's probably not a smart choice. Yeah, because all you know, out of those 10 boats, there's been 10 worms. Yeah. You know, maybe. But right, how right. many black and chartreuse has there been? <laughs> you know, exactly, so. exactly. And I, I know that the, uh, I mean, you guys are running a lot of beads too, right? Oh, beads have taken right off, yep. 
Yeah, that's like that's like over here. I mean, the bead fishing is just like it's it's crazy. I have like a whole entire aisle in my shop just um, just to cater to the bead fishermen, and probably like you know three four hundred different colors that are just minor shades apart. So it's uh, it's, it's, I know it's pretty insane. Have you bought we're, Have you bought into the beads? <laughs> oh yeah, and it, well, it's funny because I don't run beads myself very but, often. I mean, now that there's some soft plastic ones, I'll run those a little bit more, but. You know, guys come in and they start asking me like, "What bead colors I run?" And I'm pretty much, you know, <laughs> I'm I got to be honest with them. And I'm like, "Well, I fish mostly all eggs, but you know, I'll show you the ones that are the most popular." And I have a few beads that I pretty much, you know, take around with me when I go up to the Ontario trips because that's that's kind of an odd spot that the beads will outproduce a row because it's all about you know what what's spawning in there and since we don't have spawning um salmon in the ontario or i'm sorry the erie tributaries they're not getting honed in on a size ah i get it size uh bait or the way that something's pushing water so you go there with a six millimeter bead when the brown trout are spawning or you go in there with an eight millimeter bead when the uh, salmon are spawning and you'll just tear them up and yeah it's pretty funny because we're using these really tiny little beads and i got guys calling me from bc to put orders in and they want 12 and 14 millimeter beads which is <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> well that i think that's taken that you're almost getting out of the imitation and just going to the attractor now when you start getting into like because right. they're like our chinook eggs are they're not 14 millimeter <laughs> you know what i mean yeah how, how big are they they got to be eight got to be at least 10 mil or 12 mil i would mm, say right eight to ten. Oh, ten okay. mil is so about the biggest egg i've ever bigger. seen out of a real fish gotcha. and like you say there's just some there's some beads now that like they're gigantic i i, I see them and i'm like wow that's more like a skein <laughs> a chunk <laughs> of skein you got there right right but uh, yeah, no, Absolutely. the beads work really good. One one kind of crappy thing now is we got the guys that will go into the faster pocket where steelhead are sitting in some faster water, and you see them, they got a five, six-foot leader with a bead on, and they're just dredging oh, yeah. that thing through, and they're just flossing fish and making great claims. And, I, you know, we, we'll go through that same piece of water, fish the beads proper, maybe get one or two fish, and then they'll, they'll come in, you know, with their giant long leaders, and like, oh, there he is. <laughs> So that's yeah, I, kind of I a, often wonder I see these uh, I see these pictures out in BC of um, you know these spay fishermen just just with these gigantic steelhead and like pretty ridiculous runs and I don't know how the heck you would present I mean and, and really ridiculous flies too so I don't know how they're presenting these things to these fish and I was talking to a couple guys from BC and I don't want to start any problems here on the show, but <laughs> oh, don't worry, that's oh, what that, we do. Yeah, yeah. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> yeah, they're they're telling me that most of these spay fishermen, they're they're pretty much just lifting these fish, and I think it would be really difficult to do in that giant, that giant, uh, you know, the Skeena watershed. But I I don't know. I can't see, I can't see it working like um, working as good as they claim it does. So I I kind of have that same kind of feeling that you have with the bead fishing i kind yeah. of feel like they're doing the same thing but i could be wrong i don't know it just it depends on it depends on the way you present again like the real good rods that i know that do that that spay fish for steelhead net they're casting downstream and putting an immediate mend right, right putting an immediate mend into the line to slow down the presentation and then they're basically just slow dragging it sideways across the run with no belly in the line 
It's basically just straight yeah, hang, well that's, hang yeah, time. Yeah, that's a proper way to fish so it. So that yep. when you and then you get to really feel the bite. And that's why guys like, well, I don't know why that guy needs to cast to the far side. That's why because he's casting downriver to the far side to get his proper mend, and now he's got a nice slow swing. Plus, when you get that real slow swing, you can get it to drop down a bit because if you're swinging if you've got any belly in your line you can forget about getting it down unless you're using the bomb the super lead bomb you know line to get it down which when i right, see guys like casting like straight out and yeah when i see guys casting straight across river and then they just they have like a big belly going right away i'm like sorry i'm not buying in i'm just there's no yeah, way that yeah. fish is chasing that thing it's got a big swooping belly and it's ripping down river at high speed the water's got four inches of viz and you're telling me that thing bit right well, right not buying in but that's okay whatever right, right. They, they believe it they, they feel elite so that's good <laughs> <laughs> the yeah absolutely i mean there's there's some really good fishermen i know here that spay fish but we don't even have the water for it so i mean you could be as good of a spay fisherman as you want but i mean if the niagara is pretty much the only place that will accommodate spay fishing and that is one spot that i've actually done really good and it seems like you know you just have to throw anything that's you know a big white streamer or intruder or you know any giant bugger pattern anything articulated that looks like a smelt or a big emerald shiner yep. and they're just on it right away but i was doing that same technique that you're talking about where i'm kind of quarter casting down river and i'm only doing one mend with a spay rod so i have a i'm really not getting down that deep even if i'm using a t14 or t11 um you know head on there it, it's not getting me down where i need where the fish are so if there wasn't this natural chum slick of emerald shiners and smelt that get washed over the falls and die or you know the river fluctuates because there's a power dam on it so it will rise up during the day and at night it drops down so all the smelt gets kind of washed up on the banks or they get stuck in little pools and they die overnight so when the water gets high again all those smelt get kind of washed down river so it the fish are so ready to bite anything that looks flashy and white that's coming down wow yeah i get it that's cool so you must you must do some but, uh, single handing then for steelhead or is that a little bit you know yeah. uh, a little bit it seems like the double-handed stuff here is just it it's all switch rods you know the spay rod spay rod thing was kind of popular like 10 years ago i saw more guys doing it yeah. like i said it's pretty much all overkill so everybody pretty much went to switch rods here and we're we're really making pretty short casts so just like short little roll casts with a switch rod is really where it's at and you know we're fishing a lot of brushy areas or you know areas that you know, have just, you know, tons of, uh, like a big giant, um, slate, uh, ledge behind you. So, you know, a single handed rod makes it kind of difficult. So mostly all the casting we're doing here is all roll casting. Oh, so okay. that's why the switch rod is so much better. I can but see why you, the... sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so like I was saying, you know, we still got the guys who are the hardcore single handed fishermen and, you know, the guys who still, still like the fly fish, but we, we really don't have a designated locally owned fly shop here in Western New York anymore. Wow. And now I'm starting to see, I'm, I'm starting to see more of these guys who are these hardcore fly fishermen and, and spay fishermen are starting to get into center pinning and they never did it before because they would kind of be shunned by the local fly shop if they went in asking about center pinning stuff. Hmm. And it's, it's a funny thing here because you know, the fly fishermen and the, the center pin guys, they don't coexist with each other well because obviously you have to fish the run a little differently and just just due to pure ignorance, 
and being from different places around the country or even around the world for that matter, you know, you get a guy from Pennsylvania that's used to fishing shoulder to shoulder. He sees an open spot and he thinks it's fine to go stand right below you. But, you know, a guy that's normally used to having an entire run to himself and working down the river, um, that's a big problem for him. So they get in a screaming match and rather just, you know, rather than just being nice and just informing the guy, they automatically start screaming and they get into a brawl on the river and it just gets nasty. So, you know, I try to, I, it's cool now because now that there isn't a, you know, elitist fly shop in the area, I kind of have brought in all, all the different kinds of fishing together here, which is, you know, boat fishing, gear fishing, center pinning and fly fishing all in one shop. So guys could come here and talk about the different ways they like to fish and, kind of educate each other which hasn't really been the theme you know in western new york ever so it's uh it's pretty neat but like i said the center pinning is huge now i mean that's that's what everybody's doing i i i can't even uh, you know tell you enough it's 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 insane yeah out our way out our way we're seeing a lot of people just converting from the level the age-old level wine because level wines have always been the thing here all through the you know since they were invented pretty much level wind was it so now you know and there was always the guys that were hardcore that center pinned but now we're starting to see the average guy who's sort of just getting new to it hasn't caught a lot of steelhead but he wants to go straight to a center pin because it looks cool and then he tries it and likes it so we're going to see definitely yep. an upswing in center pin purchasing for sure so yeah it's be cool if guys want to get check out some different reels definitely go on to uh, facebook and check you out at colville precision reels is the best one for looking at yeah, picks. Colville Precision Reels or Colville Outfitters okay. is, a, is a good one. And they could also call the shop. The, the phone number at the shop is 716-627-REAL or 7335. So, again, that's 716-627-7335. And um, you can give me a call at the shop. And I I just was uh, featured in the Salmon Trout Steelheader in, in the December uh, issue. Nice. Um, in the new product section, you know, you could see the Trinity reel in that that edition, and I'm gonna try to. Uh, I got a reel called the Fjord that's coming out. That's kind of revolutionary. It's got these little finger tabs in it. Oh, I really saw it. Help yeah. you pick up a lot of line. So um, that's another cool thing. So I'm gonna try to get that in the next issue of Salmon Trout Steelheader too. So I got you know these two reels I'm really bringing out, and um, you know, I'm offering them with a textured rim, without a textured rim. So. They're they're made in a they're made in a like a full run machine shop unlike previously when I was re- making the reels in a garage so I'm able to keep up with the demand a little bit more but I'm still hand assembling them and I'm still wow. uh, preloading the bearings myself and setting the um, the startup speed so you're still getting all that really high performance that um, that you wouldn't get from a traditional factory reel and I'm still I'm not skipping any steps I'm still getting them all. Um, the three-part texture on all the the whole entire reel, and then the the extra little texture on the rim I'm getting. So, um, someone could call me and say they want a special theme for a laser etching too. I just had somebody reach out to me for uh, like a breast cancer reel. So they wanted a pink school and a gunmetal backplate with a with a pink ribbons on the back and stuff like that. Wow. So I could do that. And I had somebody do a reel. He just had his first little girl. So he uh, he got her footprints on the back of her reel. Oh, nice. Uh, back of his reel with her name and her birth date. So that reel came out super cool too. Nice. That's um, awesome. So they're very customizable, but they're, you know, they're made in, uh, in a machine shop now versus being made in a garage. That's awesome. So that textured rim, now is that for spinning with your hand? 
or is that just for so that the texture rim is to aid in like retrieval and also i don't know if you've noticed but you know have you ever released the fish or put some bait on your on your line and rinsed your hand off and your hand gets wet and you're taking a drift and you hook a fish and it just seems like you can't get a good like you can't get good pressure on your rim like you're getting like these like short little zips where you, it's yep. just like not a smooth run well, know exactly what you're talking about yeah 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 it's just you get these short little spurts where you're where you can't get good pressure because your hands just slipping on the rim while well, the the texture allows you to get that nice smooth like run out of a fish where you're able to really apply the correct amount of pressure and then when you want to bat your reel down at the end of a drift where you're palming it you know palming it down and batting it you know that that texture really helps with that if your hands wet as well yeah and that's the so, same idea as your little finger guys that they... yeah the finger guys it's nice because you know you kind of <laughs> just you pull all the slack line like you know if you take a 50 yard drift it's a real pain to you know with a one-to-one gear ratio to bring that in these bigger reels now the five and a half inch ones they do help with that i think they pick up something like you know 14 inches of crank or something which wow. is pretty incredible but the um the uh the finger tabs you kind of just pull your you know you kind of pull your rod up river and pull the slack out of your line and get tight with your float and then you kind of drop your rod down river towards your float and you flick your you flick the little finger tab down it kind of just sucks up all the all the slack line tight to your float again you just continue that and uh it's also cool if like you have a fish running at you and you just, you know, you're not really focusing on where the handles are. You just stick your finger in and just, you know, retrieve anywhere on the whole reel. So it's essentially like having, you know, six handles on your reel without having six handles sticking out of it. Yeah, that's cool. I would, I, like, I like to try a couple of these reels. <laughs> yeah, like... no, they're they're cool. And they, you know, because of the way they're shaped where they have the weight kind of distributed on the outside of the spool and it kind of tapers down to a teardrop shape towards the center of the spool, you get this... Um, you, you get this amazing inertia where the reel just is, you know, kind of wanting to spin on its own. And of course, you have extra weight added to the reel, which is going to help balance out your rod a little bit more. But when you pick these reels up, you're going to be like, oh man, not the Trinity so much, but you know, the Paragon I had and the um, uh, the Paragon and the Fjord. You're going to pick it up and you're going to be like, man, this reel has some weight to it. But once you put it on a rod, it makes your rod feel super light. So uh, that's really the 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 angle I've been taking is just making the reels a little bit heavier to balance the the rods out a little nicer. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to buy one. So, let's see, I gotta absolutely. What I do you think? Get one out to you guys. Yeah, I, like I think for me, a big one. I've never really had a big reel, but it sounds like I I hate reeling in and I do killer long drifts. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the five and a half inches is exactly what you want for out where you are. I mean, I. Yeah that my buddy Phil there that I was telling you about who was fishing that black worm with the chartreuse tail his uh his guide service is Phil Gray's guide service and the other really awesome center pin guide I recommend for the Olympic Peninsula is uh Joey Princeton and his is JP's guide service and yep um Joey takes incredible pictures and he was actually just out in BC field testing a couple of my uh my new five and a half inch reels that I'll be releasing um, in 2017. One is a Constellation, the other one's a Delta, and he was uh, he was fishing those. So we need to modify a couple little tiny things, but we're pretty close to having those. And those are really massive reels. Like the the Trinity, the five and a half inch Trinity is one and a quarter inch wide, and that other reel is one and a half inch wide. And it doesn't seem like 
a quarter inch makes up that big of a difference. But if you pick up two of them, it's a huge difference. I mean, the one holds so much more line and is just, it is just a massive reel. It's, it's pretty, pretty neat. Well, I mean, but, um, do you probably line, line capacity is probably not an issue with these reels whatsoever. I'm guessing. No, no, it really, it really isn't. And out where we're at, I mean, we pretty much are filling the reel up with uh, backing half the way just to kind of make up for it. Cause we don't, we don't really, we're using like, you know, eight to 15 pound line and you go out West and they're using 15 to 30 pound line. And yeah. you know, if you're using a 20 pound leader, you're obviously going to want to jump up to something a lot heavier, um, for your main line. So you're not snapping off when you're, uh, yeah. when you're rigging up now, now are you guys mostly running all slip floats in your, uh, no, your I, I, there? I make my own floats. I use a, it's a foam, like it's, it's not not like a dink float. It's a foam. What would you call that shape of a D and E? You know, you ever seen D and E floats? Like a long teardrop or something. Yeah, cigar yeah, shape. Let's say. Yeah, that'd be more. Yeah, more, gotcha. more of a cigar gotcha. shape float. And uh, I knock the middle. They have a plastic piece that you would normally run your line through, and then use bobber stops. But I get rid of that, and I run. Uh, I knock the middle plastic run-through piece out and I stick a barbecue skewer on there and then run rubber tubing on my line and just stick the barbecue skewer okay. into the rubber tubing, then it's fixed. And that way, if you snap right, off, right. you never lose your float. I have floats that last me three months sometimes with that system. Oh, absolutely. And I just, I don't, I don't like slip floats because I don't like it when I'm, I like to swing and stuff, do a bit of, like I fish jigs a lot and I'll hold back right, and let right. my jig rise up and drop and do all sorts of stuff. And with a slip float, you're I just you're you. always rising up on it. So, I I'm more of a fixed float guy. But I mean, yeah, if you're fishing 20 foot deep pools on the regular, maybe, maybe slip float time. But yeah, we don't really get well, that's that. A, yeah, that's the only time to that's the only time to really run them, or unless if you're running like a really like massive piece of bait, like if you're fishing for chinooks or something with like a big chunk of skein or something, and you need to you need to get a heavy weight down to kind of stabilize that bait. Um, then I'll use a slip float, but that's pretty much the only time. I mean, when you have that skein, you know, you got to figure how much water it's pushing. So it's going to ride up a lot higher in the water column. So you need to get like a, like a half ounce or three quarter ounce inline just to stabilize that, especially when you're fishing that classic Chinook water with the, yeah. with the upwellings and boils and all that stuff, mm -hmm. you know, you got to get something to get it down. And that's the only time I'll run a slip float, but you know, we're faced over here, we're faced, um, you know, some pretty deep runs and stuff on the Niagara and, you know, guys just have trouble casting, you know, that 12 and 14 foot depth, which the longer rods obviously help with that. But, um, you know, I've gotten pretty good over the years at casting. I just, I've always trained myself to use a slip float. I'm sorry, a fixed float for the same exact reason that, you know, you were describing. I mean, you're getting a much more natural presentation running a fixed float than you are a slip float. You don't have everything yep. bulked up in one area. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I like I said, I use the 30, my typical steelhead setup is a 35 gram float with four quarter ounce uh, sliding egg weights on the line and then an 18 inch leader with a jig. And I keep my jig a foot, typically a foot off the bottom. So I'm not too concerned with the fish seeing my weights. They're so far up above them that uh, the main thing they're seeing is my jig. And I want to present that jig slightly above them because with jigs, I found that they really like to come up for them. They don't really want them right in their mug. They prefer them to be up a bit. I've watched them. They'll let it go right by, turn around, grab it on the down. They, they want it up from themselves because then they have the option. They can let it go right by and just not move out of their spot. If you put it right in their face, they either got to move or bite it. So And then, then you've moved them. So 
I find, yeah, you just put it over top, and a lot of times you'll go through six, eight times, and then all of a sudden, wham, they'll take it. You know, so that, that's that, really that's really cool. So with yeah. that rig, you're able to present the jig to them before all that other weight gets down to them because a jig is lighter than those four small. Yep, and and egg with weights. and with mending and stuff, you know, you got to you got to do some mending and stuff. There's a way to present. You know, sometimes you got to hold back a bit to get that jig to lead, and then once you get it leading, then right, you got to right. get the dead drift going. And you know, but I, like I probably put more. So now, sorry, go ahead. No, so you, are you are you putting pressure on the um, are you putting pressure on your float when it's drifting? Or are you just letting it kind of dead drift? Right? I let it dead drift a lot, but there's there is cases where I will too, right? Like so now I'm drifting down. Let's say it's five feet deep. I'm drifting down. My jig's four feet down. Now I'm it's starting to shallow out, and they're sitting on that rise of the where it, where it starts to tail and shallow, and then I'll just hold back right. a bit to rise my jig up in front of them. And then let it slightly swing away from them and then get lots of fish doing that on those little because i find fish love a rise anytime there's a you know if there's a deep hole they won't sit in a lot of that deep hole and then right where it starts to rise up at the back of the hole they're all slaying along that so you right. know and that's why that that's why the center pin rig with the fixed float is so effective because yep. just by putting a little bit more pressure on that spool when it's spinning you're able to have that bait rise up and yep. stay in the strike zone a little bit longer and you're able to slow it down to the subsurface current and it's in that strike zone where they're just looking at it. So you could fish the same 10 foot, the same 10 foot lead from your float to your jig and just by you know putting more pressure on your float, that jig's really able to rise up and stall out in the strike zone a lot longer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do that all the time like in big rivers like the Thompson and that where yeah like you know do that all the time sometimes sometimes that's they won't even bite when it's dead drifting and then as soon as you start to hold back a bit and it just lifts up a foot wham, you know so i'll do that mid drift lots like i'll hold back for a sec let it rise up then let it go again and a lot of times i'll pull fish on that so it's not you know people think it's as simple as just a dead drift they don't bite it they don't bite it but it's not there's all ty types of ways to manipulate jigs as well and i just find oh, i find manipulating better with bigger gear Whereas if you were trying to finesse, you would be have a harder time doing manipulations like that because, you know, it's just you don't have that same feel. You know, it's just everything's light. For for a purely dead drift, no problem using the lighter tackle. But yeah, like you know, fishing the big rivers and doing all and fishing a lot of different water, it's I just go with the heavy, and I've never had an issue. So, and if the yeah, fish if uh, the fish are too spooky, I go look for the hot ones in the next rundown. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, you know yeah, that's covering water is key. I like those hot fish too. But, they seem to fight better than the dull ones. So, oh, absolutely. Do you guys get a lot of fish that have like have already been caught before? Oh yeah, oh yeah, we get some for sure, but definitely on our local river, it's the most fished river in British Columbia. So we definitely get fish that have been caught. But it's amazing they did a tagging study years ago, and those fish would swim up from the Fraser River all the way up the Vetter, right up to the the boundary hole, turn around. They did this. They found this out through uh, tel like telemetry tagging or whatever, and then they'd boot back out to the Fraser and sit there till spring. It was like they did a pre-scouting trip of the river to figure out where they were going to come later, and then wow. left. And so they were like, "Whoa, what is this?" And then some fish would sit in one that hole the whole cool. time, and other ones would just go up and down, up and down, up and down the whole season. So you, wow, you know, there's it's cool. all varying, right? Like, but we're always on the lookout for the fresh ones because they're the dumbest. So. <laughs> no, oh yeah absolutely yeah we got a kind of a cool thing that goes on here in some of our tributaries where 
we get a immature false run fish. So like we'll get the one and a half year old steelhead that are typically right around 18 to 22 inches. And they're, they're super skinny and they stay chrome the whole time. And they run up the river early, early fall when the river is still really warm. So they'll come up at the end of August, early September, and they run up the river and they, they stay there for maybe, you know, maybe a month and then they drop back down and it's almost like a trial run for them. I mean, they have no reason to run up the river. They're not like chasing any salmon or anything and looking for eggs or they're not chasing any bait fishing because there's no bait fish running that time of year. And uh, it's really cool because I think the big fish have picked up on that as an indicator. So you'll typically be catching lots of juvenile fish and an occasional big one mixed in. And then all of a sudden, you know, you'll stop catching juveniles because they've all kind of made their false run. And then, you know, all the big ones run in right after that. So, you know, we call those fish scouts because they're like scouting <laughs> the river for the bigger ones. And then, you know, we have uh, in the springtime, we have these pretty cool um, steelhead that, you know, we call them springers. I know your springers are uh, Chinooks that run up in the spring. But what we call springers here, the same kind of immature steelhead, but they're usually like... They're usually like two-year-olds or two-and-a-half-year-olds, and they're they're usually like 20 to 25 inches, and they're just fat. And a lot of people get them confused with spring run fish because they're so fat and chunky. They think they have eggs or, you know, they think they're, you know, the bucks are getting ready to spawn. But you almost can't even tell the difference between the males and the females because they're they're not they don't have uh, any really distinct types or anything like that and they all kind of look the same but they'll actually just run up the low end of the river in the spring just chasing any of the uh, emerald shiners that are coming into spawn so you fish the low end of the rivers and you're just trying to you know it's, it's funny because you you actually don't want to match the hatch you know you'd think you'd want to run a white jig or something if there's all these emerald shiners running up but it's like you know pink bags work really good and um you know, olive jigs and stuff. It's almost like you're trying to separate something yeah. from all the massive amounts of shiners that are in there. Wow. Uh, but it's what do you call really, those really ones? Cool. So those are that those are what we call springers. Springers. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so they're they're fat and they fight like crazy and they're they're pretty much in there from um you know, April and May and sometimes into June if the conditions are right. And then we uh we have some really late fish in the bigger rivers and what's so cool and all the all the rivers that connect the Great Lakes to each other, they stay really, really cool. So you could fish the upper Niagara way into the summer and still catch most of them. Some people call them upper river rainbows, but they're, you know, essentially the same thing as the springers that I was just talking about. They're these steelhead that are just congregating to the upper river because that's where all the bait fish are going to go. And they're just loaded in there. You could catch them in June and July a lot of times if the water temperatures are right. And then a lot of times that's just all wind dependent. So if the wind blows a certain way, you'll get some cooler water that, you know, flips around and washes down and you'll be able to do pretty well. I mean, you got to put your time in and pay attention to the winds, but uh, when it goes, it really goes. And there are some piers and stuff like that on the other Great Lakes just because of the way that the state is positioned um, in uh in relation to the lake, the wind will blow a certain certain way. It will flip the lake over and blow really icy cold water into the piers, and you're catching, you know, 20-pound chrome Chinook on spoons and, you know, float fishing rigs right in the little harbors there. That's those um, pictures so we see on Instagram. Really stuff in the Great Lakes. Yeah, we see those pictures on Instagram all the time out here, and 
I know we always talk amongst ourselves like what the heck is it that is the weirdest looking like like concrete slab fishing Oh yeah. When you bring the yeah, ghetto blaster and a box of beer and like, let's go hit the pier, bro. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it for a yeah. lot of people, man. I can so, see it. Every yeah. time I have, every time I have friends that visit from out west, we end up, I end up taking them for lake trout because you know they don't have a lot of spots that they can go and fish giant rivers for big lake trout that are you know in the twenty pound class. So, you know, you guys are so spoiled with these big giant wild steelhead that I end up taking people that come from. Washington or Oregon, I end up taking them to the you know lower Niagara fishing for these big chunky lake trout, just so they could uh, do something a little bit different. That's cool. And yeah, um, yeah so so that's uh, is that your home river then the Niagara, pretty much Cataraugus. I'd say and- that my home river is a Cataraugus, but the Niagara. I, I'm super lucky. I like where I'm positioned in Buffalo. Like I'm just uh, I'm like you know 15 minutes south of Buffalo, and um, you know I got a small creek that's uh, called 18 mile creek that's you know 10 minutes from the shop and then i got the cataraugus which is 20 minutes or 25 minutes from the shop and then i have uh the niagara which is 35 minutes so i'm kind of right in this little corner that's awesome and the upper niagara i mean the upper niagara is 10 minutes from me so i get to do that as well and that's where a lot of really small what was that? Oh, I was just gonna say the Upper Niagara is that in Canada or still in in New York or whatever? Well, it's it's half it's half and half. So you okay. got that's what separates the country, and it's it's cool because you you got the St. Mary's River up in Michigan. The one half is Michigan, the one half is Canada, and you have the the famous Sioux Rapids there that get the um, Atlantic salmon that run up there for some of the different bug hatches in the summertime. Wow! So that's super fun, and. Um, then you got the uh, you got Lake St. Clair, which is another you know Great Lakes connection there, and they have some they have some really cool uh, some really cool discharges and stuff like that that guys get to fish for steelhead in that lake. But all the connecting rivers between the Great Lakes all have really good you know salmonoid fishing in them. Oh, that's so awesome! It's pretty yeah. pretty neat. Yeah, it sounds like a cool really area. Good. I have to get up there one day. My buddy Wes lives in uh, he lives just outside Toronto, so that's not out of the realm, I guess, from where you are. No, we get tons and tons of um, guys from that greater Toronto area that come up here and um, fish. And what's the drive be, like? You know, from uh, say Toronto, say it's about like two two hours. You know, it's bad. it's really traffic dependent over there. Yeah, so two is, you know, between two and eight hours, area. depending on traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No, because but, yeah, you know it. Well, I might have to send my buddy West down to see you there. He, he's. I know he's. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's so he's an Ontario, you know, center pinner from way back, and he just moved back from. He lived in BC for a long time, and now he moved back, so he's there working all the time. And I know he's always jonesing for a, a, some kind of fish and fix. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you, we had uh, you know years ago, like ten years ago, and fifteen years ago, even twenty years ago, when you would see a center pin guy here, um, he would either be a local guy from like you know western new york and you would know you would know who he is or it'd be a canadian guy and (laughs) what ended up happening is when center pinning got more popular the canadian guys started coming less and less and less because they had more competition like i was telling you guys before there was no guys center pinning and there was no guys like slowing their bobbers down and keeping their bait in the strike zone prior to you know the last 10 or 15 years so you know, now that everybody's, there's so much education on the internet. I mean, you could find anything out you want on YouTube and there's so many guys doing it that you can walk up to somebody and kind of, you know, watch them and, you know, kind of see how they're doing it hands on. 
when before you didn't have that. So, you know, these guys would come up from Canada and stay for three days and catch, you know, 200 steelhead apiece. What? And now, uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's, in, in the heyday here, I mean, this is, people say, how do you land 100 fish in a day? Like, 100 adult steelhead. But, I mean, you're constantly all day reeling fish in. I mean, it's it, it used to be unbelievable. And I just think due to Due to the lack of um, attention that the DEC has had with stocking, we've really had a decline in numbers and even in size of fish. Like, you know, we used to have like a, quite a few, you know, like low teen size fish that would run up the Erie tributaries. And now it's like they're they're like rogue fish. You very rarely ever see them. And, you know, I really think they're stocking a lot smaller um, fingerlings and smolts and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the predation rate is so high in those fish because they're stocking them in the springtime when all the, the walleyes and the bass and stuff are coming up the rivers. And those fish are so aggressive that, you know, you're stocking a dumb hatchery fish in with these, with these wild walleye and bass that are just super predaceous. So... Um, you know, I don't think uh, they're. I don't think they're doing too good with the returns based off the size. Like, I would rather see them skip a year, get these smolts a little bit bigger, yeah. and stock. You know, stock a fourteen inch. You know, fourteen inch fish versus a an eight inch fish. I just think we'd get such a better return on investment there. Yeah, I think so too. They yeah, they definitely to have a history here too of smolt size is absolutely everything with steelhead survival. Like they they know putting out big smolts. They watch that re survival go way up and so that's the big thing here is just getting them back like you know the little ones the the little ones just ain't making it out there so but uh yeah yeah, so oh go ahead no i was gonna say they need to do a little bit more um studying out here and spend a little bit more time with the west coast uh fish hatchery guys (laughs) i think that would help this area a lot but yeah you never know like if they were to have it a little bit more dialed in than we do yeah, they might want to might want to mess around with different genetics, like not just you know maybe because they do that here with rainbow, just not with steelhead, but with rainbow trout stocking. Depending right. on the lake, they right. choose a different genetic for each lake. Like it's these ones do good here, these ones do good here, and through trial and error you learn, and then you're set. And that can be set up for right. sure with steelhead as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I have to say, this is absolutely the longest amount of time I have ever sat silent on a podcast before. It's a little bit painful. <laughs> Good thing you have something to do. Yeah, we like well, unloaded like say, a ton of info. Is there anything you would like to add to this? No, see, that, that that's the problem is that I got nothing valuable. I only I only have little uh, comments from the peanut gallery, but you actually have valuable input, so I'm letting you run with it. Yeah, the, like <laughs> You're the amount of info you guys just dropped is insane. Yeah, so like... But once Danina gets to know you a little better, then she can take some pot shots at you. But she, she doesn't know you yet, so she's Warning, being though, polite. Warning, though, I can't she's take being it. Polite, I can though. only dish it out. I can't take it. So you, you have to be nice to me and let me, you know. <laughs> well, I, I always say if I'm not busting your chops, then I don't like you. So hopefully true. we can get That's out of true. where we're... It's very yeah, true. You're not comfortable with the person you're busting their chops, so you got to be comfortable with them. That's right. <laughs> totally like that. But... uh yeah, well, that's awesome. So thanks for uh, talking with us. I, I'm going to uh, post some stuff on my on my Facebook page and that about your reels and that, and I'm going to look into get, getting an order for one in because I, I want to fish one of those big, 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 fat five and a half inchers. <laughs> I think that'll help a lot. Absolutely. With my, yeah. 
Yeah, thank you so much for well, your time. I appreciate everything. I really do. Thank you so much. And I've had like an overwhelming support from the Steelhead community all the way out, you know, from the Great Lakes out west. So I can't thank you guys enough. I mean, you guys make this uh, make this possible for me and allow me to live my dream, which is really cool. Cool. So, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll maybe save a few days one of your trips out here and uh, come up, up to BC. I'll take you for a float in my new pontoon down the veteran. We can bang on some Steelhead. <laughs> oh, what are we hearing? Oh. What was that, that's, that's Matt? So good. Sorry, I think someone just tried to ring in there. Sorry yeah. about that. Oh, that okay. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time, Danny. Merry yeah. Christmas. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You guys have a great day. Okay, okay bye. See you, bud. That was, uh, that was a ton of info. <laughs> well, it's good to know some people might want to travel back east, and oh, now, yeah. they got, now they got a guy they can contact who's obviously as passionate about fishing as anybody so totally he's quite articulate and yeah. knowledgeable though like, yeah the guy knows mm-hmm. his stuff yep yeah so. like me i'm a pretty ham and agar when it comes to center pinning i was gonna say when he was I, when he was talking about the textured rims i have textured rims because i just fall on the rocks all the time <laughs> if you, if, seriously if you look at my rims they are textured quite well yes so i i because he was saying about how we were fighting a fish and you're getting slip and i was thinking no, I don't get that because I got those little, <laughs> little divots all in my rim that catch my fingers. <laughs> but I would like to check out one of his reels. I'm going to order one. He sounds like he may be slightly more of a precision fella than you are, my dear. <laughs> and that, that three-inch one sounds interesting too. The three-inch, yeah, for like if you're fishing the small stream. Trouts and stuff, yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, like a river like the Skagit, go up and just trout fish up there. Totally, yeah. yeah that'd be kill. Yeah. yeah, I could see where like, you don't really see that here. I know, I think John Milner made a small one. Like yeah. a smaller one. Yeah. I don't think it was three inch. Yeah. I think three it was, inch, man. It's tiny. That is tiny. I think, well, I think it was three and a half inch, so it's not that it's still cute. small. It needs uh, a yo yo colored paint job, that a uh, real like, that small. Like the, one of the red. Yeah, yo-yo. red and yeah, yellow yeah. or whatever. Uh-huh, call it, uh-huh. Just call it the yo yo. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I think, yeah. Some of his reels were pretty cool. They had a lot of engravings and different stuff on them. And, yeah. That one with the finger tabs was really interesting. I had to ask because he, he had a picture of one with finger tabs and no reel handles. And he said some people won't even use reel handles. They just finger tab all the time. Wow. But as he said, it wouldn't be good for Chinook or bigger. But if you're fishing smaller fish with it, you could just finger tab all the time. Wow. And there's like, so the reel is here and there's like 10 different tabs. There's basically a tab, a gap, a tab, a gap all on the inside of your reel. So you can stick your finger in anywhere when you're fishing and just, and this, you just do this to reel it in. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, so that'll be costing me. <laughs> well, gonna, that, that means look, you got to book some pontoon trips. That's I'm what you got to do. I'm looking yeah. into my crystal ball, and I can see the look in Rod's eyes right now. The day will be filled with lots of phone calls between him and his fishing buddies. He's all fired up. <laughs> no, I'm not see. that fired up because there's no way I'm going out in minus 21. So yeah. Your yeah. little fishing imagination is on on a roll, though, right now. I can fishing see it. imagination. Yes. When, it, when are you starting up the pontoon trips down the better? Oh, I don't start my steelhead trips at all till after the boat 15th of January. Okay. Like, if it's really good early, I might put it out there. Hey, guys, I'm now booking trips. But, like, yeah, it's so busy with people off work for Christmas and stuff. It just... No. So there's always the big uh, the big rush, the big flood. Yeah, the January. Oh, and then, like, then it starts to mellow out and... Yeah. Yeah. And just All so right. you know, people, I do trips seven days a week, but I prefer weekdays. So yeah. if you can, you know, it is a fact of nature that we do have busier Busy times on the river. And if you can get a weekday, it's the best. And yeah. so I do one, I do two, one and two person walking wades and one and two person float trips. Right. 
You can find it on benrods.ca. Yep. That's right. Yep. And, and in the meantime, load up on your steelhead jigs. Oh, yeah. So we Anything also have the steelhead magic jig kit or steelhead magic kit. Um, originally, we were going to call it the steelhead magic. It had a, it had a very long name <laughs> because it has a mix of, of lures in it. It has Colorados and it's got the, uh, it got, it has a variety, variety of colors of, um, jigs and, and we grubs. threw some pink grubs in there. So I was just thinking like, you know, Christmas time, the variety show. So I was like, oh, ooh, oh, ringing. Stop well, I think I, I think I bought the coffee today, so oh, yeah. he pre he prepaid. <laughs> he put um, a deposit down. <laughs> uh, the nice thing is we can mock whoever this is calling. Depends. Who is it? No. <laughs> no. No. Never mind. Sorry. Never mind. Um, put that out the window. But yeah, like you know how they have variety TV shows at Christmas time, right? The variety shows. So I yeah. was like, oh, yeah. it's a variety. It's like the Bent Rods variety show, and the title of it is Steelhead Magic. But it's like a long ass name, so yeah, <laughs> it got um, shortened. One person said we should even call it the Unicorn Kit. The Unicorn. <laughs> yeah. What was kit? with that? I, I think don't I know. I don't know if that was a di- he was trying to diss no, me. No, 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 no. That's, because that's what steelhead steel are, man. Considered a unicorn of don't the fishing so world. Don't be so sensitive. No, no, he wasn't. <laughs> so we still have steelhead magic kits yes, available. We do, and, um, and you still there's have lots a few of fish pimps. There, there's lots of time to order one and get it out for Christmas time, and we're gonna carry them right through to the New Year, so. You don't have to worry uh, if you. Yes, as long as supplies. Last. Yeah, well, we have so many made, and once they're gone, they're gone. But yeah. like, yeah, so like, don't be afraid to order past Christmas. You can order. Yeah. So if you get money for Christmas, and now you're like, I want that kit. You can give us a ring. We'll get one out to you right away. And also, we still have fish pimps available. Um, totally, don't don't wait. I know a lot of people that were like, I'm buying two. I'm buying one. And then some of those people didn't buy them because the fall season kind of ended by the time we had them out of production. So you don't want to wait till next, you know, you don't want to call me in in September and be like, hey, I want a fish pen. They're going to be gone for sure. And I don't know if I'm going to make any more because I've got other stuff to worry about, like getting all my pink salmon stuff ready. That's right. We might be working on a different people have already People have already been asking for the pink salmon kit. I know. So... Like, yeah, hey, hold off. We're just starting steelhead season here. <laughs> just give us a minute. Yeah. We're trying so hard to get on top of things, but man, when you're hand making stuff, yep. it's just yep. not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, hey, have you heard on the radio? I was driving one day and I heard this ad on the radio and I didn't know what it was for at first. But it just, I was like, oh my God, that sounds like uh, Rod, because Rod, does, he's quit smoking, but he does the vape, right? Yeah. And especially when he's on the telephone with me, he vapes into the, like he vapes <laughs> right by the him? telephone and it sounds like this big. Can I do one right now? Yeah, it's like a, it's a loud sound. And anyways, I was driving one day and I hear this ad come on and it's Santa. Ho, 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 ho. Oh, naughty, naughty, nice. Naughty, naughty, nice. Oh, there's a salmon. Naughty. And it's an ad for the Vancouver Aquarium. 
it's uh, scuba. scuba Santa. And I was like, dude, that sounds like bent Santa vaping. <laughs> I have to admit, they hired me for that one. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to tell you guys. You're going into voiceover work now. Yeah. <laughs> bent Santa here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you didn't get into the Santa suit yet. I'm ready Is to go. Is that happening or we what? We can still we can do, do, it. do it. Friday. I'm, I'm, you said something about maybe being available Friday for a bit. Maybe, yeah. And it's supposed to warm up. Yeah, it's so just, like zero. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm which is really warm, warm compared so to today. When it hits zero, I'll meet you at the river. <laughs> Actually, I know where there's a steelhead too, so we could get Vent Santa catching a steelhead. I know I've been keeping one hidden, hidden, tucked away on I the know shore. Exactly where it's at. <laughs> awesome. All right. So uh, yeah, that was I. Just before we get going, I was just gonna say that I could have made that a five-hour podcast. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I could tell. Rod, Rod kept looking at you and me. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, I knew. Okay, I knew you guys were like, <laughs> we have no input. <laughs> but yeah, I, I could have. Yeah, me and Danny can. We we talked on the I phone. I could have input, but I would just derail. We talked everything. on the phone one time, and it could have gone on forever and ever. But uh, yeah, That's so cool. we. Have, well, maybe it, we could have him on again. Well, I, I mean, he, like he does come. He does come out and fish out west. Maybe I can s- talk him into sneaking up for a couple of days across the border. Of reels out. And- Even on the phone, though, that didn't. It, I don't know what it's going to sound like in Should you know afterwards for people, but it it sounded really clear and great yep. to me. What you heard on through our headphones is what people will hear on the podcast. That's yeah. cool. That's awesome. Good. So we're gonna oh technology. So we're gonna start having guests more often, but uh, our podcast might get a little bit longer because of it. But that's cool. I, I think everybody's. I don't know if you're like me. When I listen to a podcast, I'm actually quite disappointed often when they if when it's they, too short. If it's too mm-hmm. short, yeah, it's very seldom I get disappointed. If it's too long because I just pause it. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean, and come back to it later. So yeah, you, yeah. you know, as Joe Rogan says, you can't really ever have enough content because you're always going to have people that want more content, and you're going to have people that want less, and the ones that want less just don't absorb the stuff they don't want. They just move on to something else, and the other ones stay on, right? So yeah, cool. Yeah, so everybody. Uh, We'll get back. We'll do another one here soon enough once Steelhead season gets going. But everybody have a Merry Christmas out there and uh, tight lines and bent rods.